Pastors Larry and Tiz Huck welcome you to this weekly Torah study from New Beginnings Church in Bedford, Texas, taught by Pastor Scott Sigmund. We pray this message will help you better understand how God's Old Testament wisdom and New Testament revelation are meant to jointly fit together. And what we have today uh, is a study on the heart of the gospel as revealed in the Exodus. That's what uh, the uh, book of Exodus is all about, about God's amazing grace, God's miracle working power to redeem Israel from the bondage and oppression that came with slavery. And so we're going to focus on that today. But uh, before we get into that teaching... Uh, just want to point out a Holy Ghost coincidence. How many of you know there's no coincidences? Uh, and this particular Torah portion coincidentally lines up with the celebration and co- commemoration of one of America's great leaders and great citizens, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., And uh, you can't help but draw a parallel uh, between what Israel went through as a people and what the African-American people went through as a result of slavery. Uh, Both the Jews and the African-American people have faced overwhelming harassment, persecution, hate, and even genocide. We see a resurgence of that against the Jews as a result of October 7th and the Hamas massacre suddenly on campuses and in governments and just in so, so many people, this hidden hate for the Jews has resurfaced. Anti-Semitism is on the rise, and uh, while the Palestinians talk about genocide, What they don't talk about is that 40, 50 years ago, there were four, five hundred thousand Arab Palestinians, or really Arabs, living in Israel, and today there's five million. So, how do you go from five hundred thousand to five million and call that genocide? It's, It's absurd, it's ridiculous, it's outrageous. But people just don't know the truth. They don't study. They just listen to TikTok. And so, yeah, genocide is the deliberate and systematic destruction of any ethnic or racial or religious or national group. And uh, the Palestinians uh, are not... uh, being destroyed, they're growing by leaps and bounds. If only they would have had leaders who had a vision to make Gaza into the next Singapore. They could have. They received billions of dollars. It just has landed in the hands of terrorists. And uh, you see what they've done. Uh, And thank God America uh, had repented of its sins 
of slavery, outlawed slavery. There's been a civil rights movement led by Dr. King, a lot of legislation. But that doesn't change. Laws don't change the heart of man. Uh, and uh, the hate, the uh, uh, persecution, the discrimination, uh, all is taught. And uh, now you see a resurgence of teaching racial hatred based on the color of someone's skin through things called uh, critical race theory, where we're choosing who's bad and who's good based on their skin color, which no one has any control over their skin color. Uh, and Dr. King, as well as Moses, was able uh, to, with God's vision, see beyond the suffering. Amen? They saw beyond the struggle and were able to give people a sense of hope, a sense of faith, and the ability to dream of a day when salvation and deliverance would come. We see that in Moses. We see that in Dr. King. Dr. King uh, uh, made many powerful statements in his life, and uh, the one that uh, we need to lean on the most as Americans uh, from every background is, I have a dream. Amen? And he said, I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. The integrity of a man or a woman or a child is what counts, and not the color of one's skin. Dr. King uh, famously uh, quoted uh, that darkness cannot, cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. And he's talking about the light of the gospel, the light of love. He said, hate cannot drive out hate. We can't go back to the same uh, stupid ideas that we had as Americans 150 years ago where we're judging people by their skin and hating people because of the color of their skin. But we're, uh, now we're teaching that again in school for children to hate people, prefer people, be prejudiced against people because of their, the pigment of their skin. Stupid, stupid, stupid. Hate can't drive out hate. Only love can do that. Only the love of God, not Hollywood love, not sexual love, but a love that comes from heaven above. He said, Dr. King said, our scientific power has outrun our spiritual power. We have guided missiles and misguided men. Isn't that amazing? And we see that playing out when we think about 
little, let's teach a three-year-old you're transgender and we'll put you into treatment and, and give you hormones that will totally chemically castrate you and disrupt your whole life. And, uh, you know, we wait until you're 16 to drive a car, 18 to join the army, but a three-year-old can change his sex. Misguided men. Thank you for that. Amen. Finally, Dr. King said, if we're to go forward, we must go back and rediscover the precious values and understand that all reality hinges on moral foundations and that all reality has spiritual control. Brilliant thinking by Dr. King. Amen. So uh, today uh, we celebrate Dr. King, and we realize there's a lot in common with the Jewish people and African Americans in their fight for freedom. And uh, as we get into our study today, I want to show how the story of Israel coming out of Egypt, the Exodus, is a picture of God's awesome redeeming power, and it points us towards a new and greater redemption. What happened in Egypt for Israel is a great redemption. It's amazing grace, how sweet the sound. But God always intended, and Moses knew, Elijah knew, Jesus knew, something greater was coming. And it would come through Moshiach, the Messiah. And there's a well-known prophecy that Moses gave in Deuteronomy 18, 18, turn over, to Deuteronomy 18.18. God said, I will send them a prophet, an Israelite like you. I will put my words in his mouth, and he will tell them everything I command him. And whoever refuses to listen to the words that the prophet speaks in my name, will answer to me, says the Lord. And that's from God's Word translation. So Moses is prophesying that somebody else is on his way and that somebody else is the Messiah. And so that scripture and many others just create a expectation of redemption of freedom, of spiritual freedom and liberty. And so this scripture is widely accepted as a reference to the idea that Moses is a messianic figure. If you see Moses, you see a picture of the Messiah as deliverer, as redeemer, as a savior of sorts. And his work corresponds to the work of the Lord, of the Messiah. And there's another 
scripture and other prophecy, uh, you'll have a hard time finding it because it's in the book of Micah. We named our uh, firstborn Stephen Micah Sigmund. And in Micah 7.15, an amazing prophecy that ancient Jewish wisdom teaches speaks of both a redemption coming or a redemption that happened to Israel and a future redemption, a final redemption that will come through the Messiah. Micah 7.15, this is from the complete Jewish Bible. As in the days when you came out of Egypt, the first redemption, I will show them wonders. And all the rabbinical teachers teach of this as speaking of a final redemption. When you look at the first redemption, you're starting to get an idea of what's going to happen in the final redemption. God is a deliverer. And in every generation, he delivers his people. Amen? And so we're learning as we study this, both Jew and Christian alike believe in Messiah. We both believe Egypt is highly symbolic of God having a pattern of redemption. You can study what's going on with Israel in Egypt in the Exodus and glean and understand patterns that God is installing in mankind that he wants replicated. And of course, uh, we both believe not only that uh, Egypt is a significant moment in human and Bible history, We both believe in a final redemption. Jews and Christians alike believe in a final redemption. Uh, They believe in heaven. They call it the world to come. They believe in a final resurrection. Although uh, the, the Sadducees and the Pharisees had great debate over a resurrection and many other theological things. The Sadducees and the Pharisees Uh, were like modern-day Republicans and Democrats. They agreed on much of nothing. (laughs) Here's an example from ancient Jewish literature that relates to Moses as a picture of the Messiah. And it says, as the first redeemer Moses, so the last redeemer will be the, the Messiah. Yeah. So there, there you have embedded in Jewish history this uh, idea. We could go on and on, but we just don't have that time. But even in Christianity, Christian scholars uh, believe the same thing. And in fact, uh, in the Dictionary of the Bible, the Interpreter's Dictionary of the Bible by R.F. Johnson, it says, in many features, then, the Messianic age is conceived after the pattern of the age of Moses. Isn't that interesting? How we see scholars from the Jewish realm and from the Christian realm really... Uh, agreeing on many of the same things. 
Now, uh, there's still some things left undone. And we believe that a lot of that will occur in uh, the seven-year tribulation when suddenly you have two witnesses preaching the gospel in Jerusalem. Many believe that's Moses and Elijah. Uh, you know, you have 144,000, not the Jehovah Witness version, but the Christian version is these are Jewish evangelists. And so there's a buildup to all of that. If we are in the last days and our theology is correct, obviously you could argue all of this until kingdom come and people have and they will continue to argue, no, I'm right, no, I'm right. Uh, we'll find out. Uh, uh, but uh, there's no doubt that the 104 are from the 12 tribes, 12,000 evangelists from the 12 tribes of Jacob are suddenly anointed, appointed, and raised up to preach the good news. So that's why I believe when 2 Thessalonians says that the Antichrist won't be revealed until he that is in the way is taken out of the way. Well, who is that? Some people believe it's the Holy Spirit. I believe it's the church. I believe it's a rapture scripture. That until the church, the salt and the light is taken out of the way, the Antichrist will not be revealed. And so, uh, if it's the Holy Spirit, how do people get saved? See, so if the Holy Spirit is removed from earth, how will people get saved if the Holy Spirit can't prick their hearts and draw them to believe in Messiah? So the point of all of this is that there's a lot of powerful symbolism and connections to be made between Moses and the Messiah. And there's many connections to be made between Israel coming out of Egypt, the Exodus, and the final redemption. And so one of the keys is the Exodus story is a picture of our salvation and deliverance. It's a picture, an illustration of people who are slaves and in our case, slaves to sin, coming out of sin, coming out of darkness, into the kingdom of God, the kingdom of light, for a whole new beginning. How many of you are thankful you've got a whole new beginning? Hallelujah! It illustrates what happened on the very first Passover. In one moment of time, they're Hebrew slaves. They're in bondage. They're not, you're not going anywhere, Pharaoh said. But when that first Passover happened, and they applied the power of the blood to the doorpost of their house, all of a sudden, the angel of death passed over those that were believers, and those non-believers that rejected God suffered a consequence greater than anyone could have ever imagined, the death of the firstborn. But suddenly, at that moment, now... You're not Hebrew slaves, you're sons of God. 
And this is what Colossians 1 is teaching. Turn over to Colossians 1. In verse 13, for he, Messiah, Yeshua, has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness. Just like Moses rescued Israel. And transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son. Who purchased our freedom and forgave our sin. Come on. We need that kind of mindset in Christianity today. We are not part of the kingdom of darkness. We do not bow down, bend down to Satan or any secular government that tries to scour out the things of God. We will be as Americans one nation under God. Come heaven to high water, come hell or high water. Right? And it's based on a revelation that Yeshua, as the Passover lamb, shed his blood to purchase our freedom. And so our sins could be forgiven, and so we could be connected to a new and better way. Hallelujah. Praise God. So similarities, connections between the ministry of Moses, the ministry of Jesus. Last week we talked about both Moses and Jesus' as babies had a miraculous birth. Both were sent from God to save the people. Both knew God face to face. Both were sent to a mountain. Both were mediators of the covenant between God and man. And both offered to die on behalf of the sins of the people. Just several similarities there. And today I want to talk about another similarity. I've never taught this before, but I'm just so excited about the connection between uh, Jesus and Moses on Mount Tabor at what is known as the Transfiguration. There was an event that happened in northern Israel, Mount Tabor, where Jesus took three of his disciples to the top of Mount Tabor, and suddenly Moses and Elijah appear in a celestial glorious moment, and Jesus and Moses and Elijah begin to talk. Wouldn't you like to know what they were talking about? Well, we can, we, we can uh, make an educated guess. Now, what's not so well known is that Moses had a similar experience with Aaron, Nahab, and Avihu. In, you can, we won't turn over there, but it's in Exodus 24, verse 1. So Moses, prefiguring the Messiah, has a transformative experience with the Lord God Almighty on top of a mountain, just like Jesus has uh, in the Gospels. So, in Matthew 17, 2, you can read the story. 
chapter 17, but let me read from verse 2. They're on top of the mountain. And it says that Jesus' appearance changed in front of them. Man, that's got to be a trip, man. You talk about blowing your mind if you're uh, Peter, James, and John, and you're sitting there saying, what the heck is going on here? And they were afraid. Aaron and uh, Ahab and Navihu, Nadab and Avihu, says the same thing. Struck with awe, struck with fear. So were the disciples. Jesus' appearance changed in front of him. His face became as bright as the sun and his clothes as white as light. This is what's known as the transfiguration. And in verse 3, it says, Suddenly Moses and Elijah appeared to them and were talking with Jesus. Now, we don't know for how long, but I'm sure they weren't talking about their favorite pizza. What's your favorite hummus? Do you like your pita uh, darker or lighter? God has this in all three Gospels, three of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And it's making the point that this event called the transfiguration of Jesus is meant to be a powerful revelation. And one of the things it's meant to show is there is some advancement going on. A baton being passed. There's an evolution of the word of God from what it was to what it's about to be. There's a progressive revelation taking place between the law, Moses, the prophets, Elijah, and of course the old covenant. These are epitomized by Moses and Elijah. And then with Jesus, who is the mediator of a new covenant. Not a different covenant, just a greater covenant built on the covenant that came with Moses, that came with Elijah. And we're seeing this in three of the Gospels because God is showing the, the apostles. They're there witnessing. And they need to see something. Did they hear the discussion? We don't know. It's possible. But things are being transformed right now, boys. Just as you see this celestial look on Jesus and his whole physical presence is transformed in this spiritual celestial look, what's happened in his life is about to happen with what Moses brought us, what Elijah and the prophets brought us, and now it's all being elevated to a greater and higher level to what Yeshua is bringing us. Can you see that? And it's all based on redemption. It's all based on forgiveness of sins. It's all based on making us right with God. 
The law was given so that people could be right with God. And it was a temporary placeholder. Then the prophets came and explained there's a new covenant coming. One where God will take what the words of life are that are written on stone and embed it in man's heart. He will turn people's hearts of stone into hearts of flesh. I believe that Jesus and Moses and Elijah were discussing a new pattern of redemption. You still had the temple. You still had all the sacrifices. You still had all of what God originally put in place still in place. But very quickly, things are going to change now. And i got to get my apostles on board i got to start building some revelation in them so that they can begin to explain this thing to all the people I'm assigning them to minister to. Come on. And it's, it's talking about even a greater exodus. How God saved and delivered Israel is a great, great thing. It's the greatest story ever told in the Bible, save for Jesus as the Passover lamb. Look what it says in Luke 9. This is a, another rendition of the transfiguration. They, Jesus, Elijah, and Moses, were glorious to see. And they were speaking about his exodus from this world, which was about to be fulfilled in Jerusalem. Luke 9.31 even uses the word exodus in many translations. So Jesus, Elijah, and Moses are speaking to one another about God's plan of redemption concerning the exodus. The word exodus means departure, movement from often with haste, and often with an aspect of urgent joy. Like the night before you're going to get on a plane and go, go visit Yvette down in the Caribbean. <laughs> oh, man, I want some warm weather! <laughs> Joyful urgency. So we have every reason to believe that Jesus, Elijah, and Moses were all discussing the movement into a new covenant where Jesus would be the new mediator between God and man. Up until this point, that happened in the temple. The foundation laid by Moses, the high priests, were the uh, mediators in the temple. They were the Sadducees. They didn't believe what the Pharisees believed, including a resurrection. And they were political appointees by Rome who held a tight grip on power and politics in Israel. You didn't, you didn't take a breath unless you had approval from the priesthood. They were in charge. And not everybody was you know, bad, but the high priest, Caiaphas, we already know Caiaphas, 
he, he was a political appointee of Rome. He, he was a secular high priest that just followed Rome. It's like today having a president in the White House who doesn't care about constitutional things and they just do whatever they want because they have the power. And, and all of Washington we're seeing, they, they not very responsive to the people, right? They're almost, their loyalties are, who's given me some money? <laughs> who's given me a golden parachute? Sadducees in the temple, no different. They wanted a golden parachute. So we're being shown at this event a beautiful unity. You could almost call it a tri-unity between Jesus, Moses, Elijah. And it allowed the apostles, the disciples at that point, to better understand and then better communicate this transformation. And just to seal it, as the whole thing is wrapping up, I don't know how long it took. Did it take 15 minutes, 45 minutes, a couple hours? Who knows? But at the very end, to underscore the agreement and the unity between Jesus, Moses, and Elijah, a voice came from heaven, this is my son whom I love, with whom I am well pleased, listen to him. You can see that elevation, that transfer of power and authority. Shifting to Yeshua. Amen. And let me just say, it, it wasn't like they were all so, okay, the New Testament, let's plow that into the landfill of history never to be thought of again. No. It didn't abolish the Old Covenant. It amplified the Old Covenant. Everything they were supposedly were waiting for. Everything that they were supposed to experience has now standing right before us. And it strengthened the covenant, not based on the blood of bulls and goats, but based on the power of the blood of an eternal God. Amen? And you can go into Hebrews 9 on your own where it explains this transformation. And basically, it's saying that Jesus is the new Moses. Right? I am succeeding you, Moses. If, if Pastor Luke Huck succeeds Pastor Larry Huck, we don't ridicule Pastor Larry Huck as the old guy. But that's what Christians do about the Old Covenant, about Moses. So all of a sudden we're seeing how the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. Amen? And the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. Isn't that amazing? So... There's patterns in the Old Testament that God lays as a foundation, the prerequisites, as it were. If all you got is John 3, 16, hallelujah. 
But if you live to be, if we live another 20 years before Jesus comes, the Lord is expecting you as a a son or daughter of God to know more than John 3.16. Or you're going to be at the pearly gates. And the God who revealed himself to the Israelites is the same God who reveals himself as the Lord Jesus Christ. Same God. Same plans. Only they keep getting gooder and gooder. Amen? And Paul, the apostle, he wants us to be sure that we understand how important this is. I forgot to write down, I think it's 1 Corinthians 10. I forgot to write it down. He said in 1 Corinthians 10, somebody can verify that, these things, the Exodus, what happened to Israel in Egypt and coming out of Egypt, these things happened to them as an example. Paul, teaching the church, these things are our example. And they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. What we're seeing in the Passover, the Exodus, are examples written down for us to learn from. Because what happens when the end of this age comes, what you've seen in the Exodus, you're going to see at the end of the age. And we do. Pharaoh is a type of the Antichrist. The 21 judgments in the book of Revelation that come out of the scrolls, the seals, and the vials, uh, 21 different judgments uh, relate to the 10 plagues. And uh, there's many other uh, things. But for you and I today... We want to acquaint ourselves with, how do I experience more redemption? What's in it for me? (laughs) And part of it you learn just by studying uh, the deeper meaning of Egypt and Pharaoh. It shows us a level of deliverance that God wants to bring every single person, even today. Egypt is not only the name of the country. The deeper meaning is confined, constrained, and restricted. Isn't that what sin does? It puts you in chains. It confines you, constrains you, and restricts you from living out your destiny. That's what Egypt means. Pharaoh isn't just the name of Egypt's ruler. The deeper meaning is undisciplined, wild, and unrestrained. And so we're being shown two very different types of bondage that people are in. 
and you look back at your own life before Christ, it probably lines up a little bit with this. There's an inner and an outer form of bondage. There's a physical and a spiritual form of bondage. Egypt physically enslaved the Jews. Sin physically gets you going in a direction you don't want to go. It always, sin always takes you farther than you want to go. It makes you pay more than you want to pay. And so, in Pharaoh's case, Pharaoh's bondage and slavery has to do with the inner. He enslaved their souls with this undisciplined, wild, and unrestrained society. And God sent the plagues... In Exodus, just like in Revelation, he sends the 21 judgments, the, the, the scrolls, the vials, and, and uh, what's the third one? Scrolls, then the vial, and the seals. Not Sammy the way out seal. And he sends the judgments so that people realize you ain't in control. Bubblinsky. <laughs> you ain't in control. There is an almighty God who is in control. His desire is that no one perish, but your time is up. The land is filled with sin, and your time is up. You either come on this side, or you stay on the side you're on, and either one has consequences. How many of you are thanking God we have good consequences in our destiny? So John 8, Jesus teaches whoever lives a sinful life is a slave to sin. So whether today you're a sinner apart from Christ or you're a Hebrew slave in Egypt, we all need and have needed and people still need amazing grace. For Israel, the solution is the Passover. It's like an altar call experience. God calls Israel to do something. Here's some commandments you need to obey if you want to get yourself out of this uh, uh, ungodly, unbearable situation. And the only remedy came with the tenth plague. And the, the remedy is you take for yourself your household a lamb. You slaughter the lamb, sacrifice the lamb, and you take the power of that blood of the lamb, put it on the doorpost of your house, and the angel of death is going to pass over, and the next morning you're going to walk out of Egypt, walk out from the bondage of Pharaoh. If they don't do the sacrifice, do they get the benefit? No. No. And that's where, while they're doing this, there's a solemn commitment being made. There's a covenant being made. They're a blood covenant. And it's the same for you and I today. 
When we see, I see that hand, that hand, that hand, that hand, people are making a decision, am I going to commit myself to Christ? Nowadays, we don't sacrifice the lamb physically, but spiritually what we do is what it says in Romans 10, 9, and 10. Go over to Romans 10, 9, and 10. If you acknowledge publicly with your mouth that Yeshua is Lord and trust in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be delivered. Worked for me. For with the heart, one goes on trusting and thus continues towards righteousness. There's something important in that. While with the mouth, one keeps on making public acknowledgement and thus continues toward deliverance. There's a secret there in your declaration, in your prayer. Notice the tense. You continue toward righteousness. You continue toward deliverance. This is talking about working out our salvation. It's saying that the plan of redemption that God has is more than a one-time, one-night commitment. It's more than a single altar call experience. It's meant to be a new beginning. Hallelujah! With new expectations and new priorities. This is why we're called new creations in Christ. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. When Israel walked out of Egypt, God took them on a walk to Mount Sinai. This is what trips up a lot of people. There's only one thing you have to do. Pray this itsy-bitsy, teeny-weeny prayer, and that's it. <laughs> wrong, 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 unless you're the thief on the cross. Because you're not going to experience spiritual freedom if you think it's a one and done. This moment is one size fits all forever. Don't ask me to do anything else. That's not commitment. That's not a pledge of allegiance to the Lamb. That's saying I want to live my Egyptian life, walk like an Egyptian, even though I had an altar call experience. Let me tell you something. There's no way that God was going to allow an exodus if Israel was just going to leave Egypt and go out and set up an ungodly secular system that they had just been freed from. I'm going to give you a set of rules and regulations for how to order your life, how to run society, and if you'll follow these things called the Torah, the Ten Commandments, then you will be obeying me, setting up a society that I want set up. This isn't Moses' idea. He's the mediator of it. He's making sure it gets installed and downloaded. And that's what Jesus is talking about in John 8, again, in verse 31. Jesus said to the Jews who believed in him, the Jews who believed in him, the Jew, well, the Jews didn't believe the Jews who believed in him. 
There were quite a few. You are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teaching. And then you will know the truth. And the truth that you know will set you free. It's the difference between accepting Jesus as Savior and making Jesus Lord. Making Jesus Lord is a lifelong journey. And it involves our commitment. It involves a renewed pledge of allegiance to the Lord, to the Lamb. And it's progressive in nature. Philippians 2.12 says, work hard. I don't know why Christians think that grace means you don't have to do anything. Philippians 2 says, work hard, which you are. It's 17, 15 degrees out, and you got outside and drove to church. That's some hard work. It's some cold work. Work hard to show the results of your salvation, Philippians 2.12. Obeying God with deep reverence and fear. This is the lordship of Yeshua at work. So, as we close, what we're seeing is that the entire Exodus story, the entire life of Moses, is symbolic of the work of the Messiah. And it shows us how much we need amazing grace, Old Testament or New Testament. And it reminds us of the power of the blood. I encourage you, if you don't know the seven places Jesus shed his blood, get the book. I know the author personally. <laughs> and it shows us that there's power in his name. In the name and by the blood, Satan, I bind you. Father, I praise you for releasing every covenant benefit. And there's power in learning his word. Amen. Amen. Do you agree with that today? Amen. Amen. We'll give the Lord a praise. Amen. And thank you for watching by Zoom.